Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. So, as you all should know, a couple of weeks ago, we hit 10,000 downloads for the Riftwake Podcast Network. And in celebration, we put out that we would be taking topic suggestions for R&R here from all of you at home. And both of this week's topics are brought to us by Tori Christensen, who's the editor of The League of Ultimate Questing, another Portland-based podcast here. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that we're Portland-based, but we're half Portland-based. Anyway, a podcast local here to me that is definitely also worth checking out if you haven't already. So with that being said, let's talk about some roleplay. Nathan, go ahead and lead us off. Okay, so what is roleplay exactly? So roleplay basically is where, uh, as a player in D&D, you take a character and essentially you figure out what traits and certain personality uh, things that this character has. So for example, do they, uh, what, what, what are their beliefs, so on and so forth? What do they speak like? How do they act in such certain situations, right? And that's essentially what roleplaying is. So just to be 100% clear, just in case. What we are planning to talk about today is roleplay, R-O-L-E, versus R-O-L-L. So this is kind of an expansion of our numbers versus explosions episode with just a bit more focus on the actual PC side of things. So what we mean by these two, and again, as with pretty much all of our versus episodes, this is yet another spectrum type situation where you do have the R-O-L-E side to the one with the R-O-L-L to the extreme other. And this is actually one of those situations where there is a huge amount of variability in the middle. There are certain topics where people do tend towards one of the more extremes. That happens quite a lot. But in this particular situation, for once, I will actually say I'm actually pretty central on this one. So what we want to really get across in our understanding for all of this, this has a lot of options about what, how certain situations can be handled and how you want to do so is something that you can decide to just change your mind for whatever kind of game experience you're going for. So that was way more vague than I prefer speaking as. So let's actually do a little bit more details now. (laughs) So uh, Nathan, you uh, well explained the R-O-L-E side of the situation. So as is appropriate, I think I'll do the R-O-L-L. So there are a lot of DM tables where the roll of the die is the final and only arbiter of decision making, where everything that happens is by the roll of a dice. Some people will make their character entirely using the Xanathar charts and random dice rolls to build the entire backstory of a character. They will have every decision made, like, will I even do this attack or that spell by a roll of the die? So there is a playstyle of people, and this is both DM and player alike, that wants the dice to decide the story by randomness. It is a choose-your-own-adventure D&D game style by a hundred percent chance and most people will fall somewhere in the middle of those so i'm curious just what is your own self-analysis nathan where do you fall between the two 
So, um, looking at myself and the way I like to do things, it's actually pretty easy to gather for, from anyone who knows anything about me and my shows, right? That I'm the kind of person who will go towards the more um, loosey-goosey kind of thing. So, um, I would say that I'm more likely to go for the roleplay aspect where it's more leaning towards roleplay in which the players typically can do a lot of things without having to roll stuff. And generally speaking, my rule of thumb is do not ask me uh, what role to do and do not tell me what role you want to do. Tell me what you want to do. And I will tell you if it works or if you need to roll. Indeed. And it's interesting because that really does put you like pretty near the center of the spectrum and really just a bit to the left because you do like calling for roles technically more often than the core mechanic in 5e necessitates. So this is a thing that honestly I do, you do, most DMs do, which is ask for roles when you don't actually need to. So if you are in a situation where there's nobody chasing after you, nobody on the other side of a locked door, and you have a rogue with a set of thieves tools, they're gonna pick the lock eventually. They might, you know, not roll well on a first attempt, but without time bearing down on them, they will succeed. So technically speaking, such a situation does not need a die rolled to see the result. You may even just decide in a different direction of, okay, you're gonna get it, and we'll just roll to see how long it takes you. And then that could be how a DM decides to arbiter such a situation. But I mean, just because there is a chance of failure, you must also factor in time. Is there any reason or chance of failure that would impact them from trying again? Well, so my perspective on this is that typically such roles aren't actually done to uh, like for for a um tactical reason. In my opinion, I typically do these kinds of roles for um effectively using it as a basis for narration. So it can be a point of comedy where you have a rogue who is good at something or should be good at something, epically failing, and that can be quite funny. And in other cases, you can have a situation where somebody who is entirely entirely incompetent at something succeed, and it can be kind of funny in that way as well, so on and so forth. And it also just gives you that extra bit of thing that you can just draw from, from to describe what you're doing. Thank you. You in an unintentionally actually brought up exactly one of the points I have on my checklist. The idea of a person who should be good at something failing terribly and someone who shouldn't be able to do well doing so. Those two things are a major point of contention amongst the people on the more extremes of this spectrum. This is the type of situation exactly where some people who are more logically minded like myself may hate the whole idea that this is someone who is supposed to be the best at their thing, but if they just roll a two, then like the barbarian with a negative two to their charisma suddenly <laughs> just rolls better and does better at like a persuasive speech or something like that kills my logical side, which is a significant side of me. So that situation 
how do you as a DM and how do you as a player accept and interpret such things? And this is a situation where I would say it's more important on the DM's side to have an understanding with your players as part of the social contract that you establish, see earlier episode, in order to make sure that you're on the same page of how you want things to be judged. Like if you have two bards in the party, let's say this example, one of them is a super you know, exuberant, talkative person playing the bard. But the other person is really shy, but just thinks the powers are neat and just wants to, is willing to give something out of their comfort zone a try. How do you play with those two characters in the same party? Do you as a DM try to force the shy person to make those super persuasive speeches themselves? Or do you give them the mechanics angle to have it be a pers- they just roll a persuasive check along the lines of ABC and to make it just easier on them to play. And this is the topic of debate. Can slash should you as a DM in that situation make the two of them adhere to one set of rules or allow them to use opposite ways to get the same result? Allow the speech person to be able to just give the speech and succeed if they do well and just give the shy person the other way to do the same thing. How would you rule that? Well, I I think it's really hard to say either way because when it really comes down to it, you want to reward the player for playing their character. But you you do not want to punish the player for not being their character either, right? And and that's really the, the thing, right? Because I, I think you just need to find a balance between the two. Otherwise, you're just going to be punishing people for not being their character. And then in other cases, you're just going to disincentivize people from actually speaking up and getting into character, which is also bad. But when it really comes down to it, the, the reason why it's so hard is because when you choose to play a character and... For example, talk you character as someone who doesn't talk very well. There's, there's this thing where the player has an opportunity, and, and this is kind of the whole point of D&D to some aspect, where the player gets to experience a different personality and try, even though they may not be that personality, try to emulate that and see how it feels, right? And which is why when it really comes down to it, I, I think that I, I still lean towards ha- having the the player aspect of um, this thing uh, more strongly because you it's very hard to have a role be something very interesting because a role is just a set of numbers. What really drives a game um, a game is the experience which the players are having in terms of what they imagine and what they see and what they hear, right? And that's what role playing, as in the you know role, as in R O L E L L E, yes, R O L E, really brings to D and D, and it's why that why why many people enjoy playing D and D in the first place. Indeed, but something to always be aware of when talking about this: every DM has a very unique style. I have honestly lost count of how many DM episodes we've been able to do up to this point, but. Over and over, we do go over that there are many, many different spectrums that DMs are going to be on that affect their DM style. And every DM is going to have a unique style or a thing that they decide to do differently or just a way that they interpret certain things. So a big part of just playing D&D 
is having a group that does get along for the game. And that very much does include having a game that is running a game style that you enjoy. Because one just sad fact of life is that a lot of the time, the first D&D group that you come across may just be playing a very different style than your own preference. Like if someone who loves just rolling dice for every single check that they want to do just is in a game that is almost all role play and they almost never actually roll a die in the game, then that player is likely to be very disappointed. So when either joining a new group or setting up a group, if you're the DM, that is a hugely important thing to bring up in the session zero of a game that you're planning with a group of people to have this discussion as part of that session zero as setting your social contract that do you have preference of rolling to resolve situations or to speak out the actual actions that your character is doing and in the event of that you know two bards with two very different people type situation you can just include in the conversation would you feel more comfortable if we used these separate rules for the two of you to accommodate the player makes a choice the character takes an action and then how that action is resolved is by the player choice at that point and giving players choice is a very valuable part of the job as a dm because it is the player's actions that shape the events that a dm is creating and without having that interaction then it's like having a house with no roof you are missing an essential part of what makes a DD game if you're not giving your players that choice to affect the world how they want to on the other hand of course you yourself said a moment ago nathan someone who is supposed to be really good at things failing miserably is still kind of funny and to be fair that is a thing that very much happens in real life sometimes you just have a bad day so this is actually an area where i feel that there are some flaws in how fifth edition rules are written it's something that is vague enough that dm's aren't on the same page and that has to do with what i was talking about earlier in when are roles required at all and that is such a simple and complicated topic simultaneously that your resolution as a dm just really does require more thought than most are willing to give it so another example i'll throw out to try to illustrate this a bit better nathan if there is the entire group of player characters that need to sneak across a courtyard, how do you do that? So, step one, I ask the players, how do you want to do this? So they tell me, maybe, okay, we're going to um, crawl our way to it, uh, to beside the fountain or something, and use the sound of the water to mask us as we move uh, to the other side of the courtyard or whatever, right? Something along those lines. I tell them, okay, because you uh, have the sound of the fountain masking you, I give you advantage or something along those lines, roll, um, have the person who is worse at um, stealth roll, or have the entire group roll. For me, it's it's not really a um, thing that I pay too much attention to. Um, most of the time, I'll just ask everyone to roll because I do that with perception checks as well. And uh, that's typically how I would do such an encounter. Exactly. And you again just ticked off all the boxes very nicely so mentioning that either the entire party or the worst person at stealth 
is an important binary to bring up as options because do you as a dm want to give players more rolls of dice or do you want to move the story along a little more quickly and that is again something that is a conversation between the players and the dm because every player is also going to have their own style of play so understanding that different people have different preferences so you might have two players at your table who do prefer just rolling the dice. And then you may have one person who just really wants to overact everything and just giggle at whatever shenanigans happen from their chaos. And then one person who's, let's say, just say is new and is still finding their place. When you have just that kind of typical makeup of a group, then it's fine to just do whatever makes the game pass in the way that makes the most people happy. It is very difficult to make everyone happy all the time. So how do you <laughs> uh, how do you promote the greater good, the greatest good, I should say? So if you do have such a full group assembled, then open and honest communication, as in so many other things in D&D and in life, is really just the best way to go about it. Because if you do ask, you know, player one to do roles because that makes them happy. If you ask player three to be the talky person that they ever so want to be and let the other person find their feet, etc. To just give players the opportunity to find their comfort zone and just what their style is. A DM does not have to actually enforce blanket rules for all situations the same way every time. And uh, actually, another good example you brought up is the group perception check is another very common thing. So this is actually another thing that I feel should be debated more, but often is not, which is player characters are often very prickly about the skills that their character is talented at. Like if you have a wizard in the party, like it is not uncommon for them to just, you know, flare up a bit when someone says, the barbarian rules Arcana as well. Because wh why? <laughs> why is that something that we all do and everyone is just trying to get the same result? Like, this is one of those situations where my personal style actually will lean more towards the group role where we just say, you know, the party like looks around and points out anything useful, but we just have the person who's best then just roll the check with advantage. So basically a group version of the help action. So they do the group helps out and grants advantage to the character who is best suited to do the thing. So allowing players to lean into their specialties or to have skill checks be open to everyone. That just is something to debate. Well, Remy, um, I was thinking about it and I there might be something uh, interesting that more proactive DMs might want to try where essentially look at it this way. People may notice the same thing, but the what, what they gather from it may be different. So for example, like I don't see this being easy to implement in any way, but one way you could do it is say a barbarian succeeds and the wizard succeeds, right? For example, the wizard would have a different perspective on it. So for example, his would be more on like um, the exact constitution, what it does. And on, on the, in the meantime, even though the barbarian did succeed, what he would gather would be something more simplistic, but would maybe explain what it does more um, in, in a different way that is more applicable to what this character cares about. So that's one way you could certainly do it, though I wouldn't say it's easy in any way, but 
it, it is a way. Indeed, it is. And yeah, there there is not a right way to do this. There is just an infinite number of an infinite number of spectrums that all intersect at at a point that is just the core of what kind of DM you are. But just because you as a DM do have a preference towards any particular direction does not mean that you need to limit your player characters in such a way. So like I said, to just use the different rules for the players who are best suited to it. Or maybe say, if you know the shy person like really just gives it their best shot to give a speech, to maybe grant them advantage on the role if you do still request a role of them. So another way that this could be rebalanced again is to just have there be that extra thing if they take the extra action. In summary, whether you're a person who wants to give the bombastic speech yourself or someone who just thinks that the powers of a bard are cool or anything else entirely, I stick to the same examples too much. But the point is, wherever you fall in the spectrum is not a wrong answer and players and dms alike should just have a group conversation to find the style and agree on the set of rules that will be enforced by the dm to run the best game for everyone at the table thanks for listening to this episode of riffs and rules please leave us a review and give us five stars on itunes so support on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast tier stars lowest a dollar and even that much really helps us out supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes to the toxic supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content early access to episodes access to patreon discord where we will chat with cast and even a shout out on the show find us on social media on twitter at riffwake podcast on facebook as riffwake on reddit on the subreddit r slash riffwake podcast and now send us an email riffs and rules at gmail.com that's riffs and rules at gmail.com thanks for listening bye support for this podcast and the following message come from corient corient provides wealth management services centered around you they focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.